Father, our hearts are full of praise and worship at this time. We feel a sense of joyous thankfulness pervading this whole congregation. There's laughter and joy and a sweet sense of your goodness. And for this, we thank you on this special day. And yet, Father, we pray your forgiveness that so often we take special days like this and treat them as times of indulgence, self-indulgence, like at Christmas time, when our hearts should be prostrate in worship and adoration. But, Lord, we do come with hearts to praise you and to worship you. And we come also to hear your word and to find again what might be missing in our daily lives so that as we expose our hearts to truth and your word sinks deep in our hearts, we can be encouraged and challenged and comforted by your own precious word. So, Lord, by that same Holy Spirit, be pleased to take this one set of words from my lips and may they mean one thing to one person and something to another and something quite different to someone else. I pray for those who listen by tape, people I'll never know, never see. And yet may these words come as from yourself. And may they come with all the power of God. And may they bring nothing but blessing. For we ask it for your dear name's sake. Amen. My dear American cousins, I'm glad to be with you on this day of Thanksgiving. I was just thinking it was, uh, you owe Thanksgiving to the English. We started it. Uh, you owe the state of America to the English. We started it. You check the Declaration of Independence. They were all, all Englishmen except one, and he was a Scotsman. So, uh, Thanksgiving and independence. Humbly, I take all your gratitude and all your <laughs> No, it's a great country and I love it. I'll tell you what, I love America more than many Americans do. I've been coming here now for about 23 years. And um, as I travel the world, I see what you have, many of you have never seen. The greatness of your country isn't seen only here, but overseas. It's a great and a wonderful country. The only one thing I am sorry for, uh, I go to so many churches and I never hear people praying for the president. Maybe if they prayed more for the president, more would happen. The word of God tells us to. In England, in the Episcopal Church, the queen is prayed for every day. The president could do with all the prayers and all those in authority, governors and mayors and other people. However, uh, I want to speak again this morning. What's missing? And of course, I must speak of the missing, the missing thanksgiving in the life of the Christian. So I'm talking about the missing thanksgiving, and I'm turning to Psalm 116. And as before, the message is so simple that very often we miss it. Psalm 116, and the opening verses are full of thankfulness to God and the reason for doing so. I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice and my supplications, because he hath inclined his ear unto me, therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. The sorrows of death compassed me, and the pains of hell got hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. 
Then called I upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord, and righteous. Yea, our God is merciful. The Lord preserveth the simple. I was brought low, and he helped me. Return unto thy rest, O my soul. For the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. For thou hast delivered my soul from death, mine eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Return unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. Thou hast delivered my soul from death, mine eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. Notice the three tenses of your salvation in verse 8. Thou hast delivered my soul from death, that's the past tense, sins forgiven. Mine eyes from tears, that's the future tense, there's no judgment. And my feet from falling, and that's the present tense. The wonder of the saving life of Christ. That's why you have in verse 9, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. That's the way God planned his salvation to operate in your life and my life. To walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Not to stagger in the land of the dying, but to walk in the land of the living. Have you ever wished that there was some way in which you could demonstrate your thanks to God? I know we sing praises and we have these lovely hymns. Uh, and we were sincere and we mean it. But do you ever wish that you could do something to show your gratitude to God? And I'm sure you do. And that's what this psalm is about. Because there are three things you can do if you want to show your gratitude to God. Look, verse 12 asks the question, What shall I render unto the Lord? For all his benefits towards me. How can I pay God back? How can I demonstrate thankfulness to God? Not just say it. How can I do it? And I read on. Verse 13. I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly I am thy servant. I am thy servant and the son of thine handmaid. Thou hast loosed my bonds. I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people in the courts of the Lord's house. In the midst of thee, O Jerusalem, praise ye the Lord. And notice the simplicity of this. How can I show my love? Verse 13, I will take. Verse 14, I will pay. Verse 17, I will offer. And verse 18 repeats verse 14, I will pay. In other words, a double emphasis on the paying. So there it is, I will take. I will pay, I will offer. And we look at the, each of these in turn, see what is implied by the reference, and see whether we have done it. And uh, if you have done it as we come to it, 
Good for you. You've, you've demonstrated your thankfulness. If you find an area that you haven't yet fulfilled, then that shows you an area of omission, an area where you are, thankfulness is missing in your Christian life. So look at the first one. I will take the cup of salvation. Now the other day when I was talking about one of the messages, we referred to Psalm 75. Just look there again, Psalm 75. I mentioned to you at the time I would talk about other cups, and I am doing so now. Psalm 75 and verse 8. We referred to this verse when we were talking from Matthew 26 about the Lord Jesus saying, Let this cup depart from me. Three times he agonized about a cup. And I said to you, what is the cup? And here it is in verse 8 of Psalm 75. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, and the wine is red. It is full of mixture, and he poureth out of the same. But the dregs thereof, all the wicked of the earth, shall wring them out and drink them. That is the cup that was offered to the Lord Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. In the hand of the Lord was the cup. And God was presenting it to his son. And we saw the consequences of that. Now, if you compare that with Psalm 116, you have in verse 13, I will take the cup of salvation. Would you notice, please, there are two cups. There's the cup of judgment and the cup of salvation. And because our Lord Jesus drank of the cup of judgment as we know he did, then God is able to offer to us the cup of salvation. And it's a delightful thought to realize that the first way in which you begin saying thank you to God is not to give him something, but to take something from him, to take the cup of salvation. Now, I'm talking to you here, and I'm sure most of you here gathered at His Hill on this Thanksgiving Day in 1981, you've taken the cup of salvation. But I wonder if you have drunk all the cup of salvation, but we'll leave that for the moment. You've taken the cup of salvation. But I want to speak to people whom I'll never see, and you're listening by tape, and have you ever taken the cup of salvation? Have you ever come to the cross, repented of your sin, and acknowledged your sin, and received Christ as your own personal Savior? Because if you haven't done that, that's where you begin on this great Thanksgiving day, by demonstrating your thanks to God, not by giving Him, but by taking from Him the cup of salvation. Now, here, most of us have done that. What I want to emphasize is that God has two cups, the cup of judgment and the cup of salvation. And please note, you will drink from one of those cups. God, in His mercy, in His wondrous mercy, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that you might be saved from the cup of judgment. And God today, if you're, if you're not yet saved, if you've never trusted Christ, God is offering to you now as I speak the cup of salvation. 
You're not worthy of it. You've never earned it. You don't deserve it like none of us here are. But you come as a sinner. You acknowledge your sin. You repent of your sin. And you come to the Father and you accept Christ as your own Savior. And in doing so, you receive the cup of salvation. And you're translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son. You're born again. Your sins are forgiven. You have eternal life, a home in heaven. All because Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. But not everybody who is offered the cup of salvation takes it. Maybe I'm talking to someone and you have been offered the cup of salvation several times. Many times maybe. And for some reason, some stupid reason, I underline the word stupid reason, you've never taken it. I want you to realize that if you don't take the cup of salvation, you deliberately, consciously choose the cup of judgment. Because you will drink from one cup. God desires not the death of a sinner, rather he should turn from his wickedness and live. But if you go on refusing the cup of salvation, you choose the cup of judgment with all the implications of hell and a lost eternity. God won't send you there. You'll go yourself. You'll choose to go. And I'll tell you something else. When you get to hell, you'll take one thing with you. Your memory. Our Lord speaking in Luke about the rich man who went to hell. And the Abram said, son, remember, remember. I want to remind you, you will remember when it's all too late, when it's all over and done with, you will remember these words of mine. I think no punishment could be greater than to Replay as on a tape recorder my voice this morning, offering you the cup of salvation with forgiveness of sins and a heaven of bliss and joy. And you, for some stupid, crazy reason, saying, ah, forget it, I want to go my own way. Well, you'll remember that. But I would suggest that on this day of Thanksgiving, you think again. And you do the first thing. You take the cup of salvation. And to those of you who've taken the cup of salvation, I would remind you of the words in Psalm 23. My cup runs over. There's the much more in the cup of salvation that many people have never drunk from. They don't drink from the cup of salvation. They sip. They just take a little. Sure, they've drunk from the cup of salvation. That's fine. But they've never drained it. They've never had the much more. They've never had a cup of salvation which runs over day by day. The much more. And of course, you know what the much more is. It's in Romans 5.10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be daily delivered from sin's dominion by His resurrection life. You see, you may be one of those who's taken the cup of salvation, but you've never drunk it yet. Why don't you enjoy all that God has for you? Not only the reconciling death of Christ, but the glorious, wondrous, saving life of Christ. May I remind you again, 
But on the cross, our Lord was the sin-bearer by His reconciling death. Now, day by day, by His saving life, He is the burden-bearer. Again, some of you listening by tape, maybe some of you missionaries or Christian workers, you are bearing burdens God never intended you to bear. Cast thy burden on the Lord, He'll sustain thee. The living Lord, the living Christ, who indwells you by His Holy Spirit. Make it real. Not only take the cup, drink from the cup. Drink it all, and it, it, it never runs out. It's like the widow's cruise of oil. It keeps on filling up, filling up day by day. So that's the first thing we do. Take the cup of salvation, and of course, most of us have done that. But here we come to number two on the list. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people. I will pay my vows. What does that mean? Well, I'm sure there are many of you here who, when you were younger or even since, uh, you've been to meetings where you are challenged to yield your life to Christ. It's a great Baptist tradition. I was at Falls Creek some years ago with a high school group, and we had about 5,000 high school fellows and girls there. And I was the speaker, and I remember the last evening we had a tremendous challenge, not to trust Christ, but to come and yield your life to Christ, that when He wanted, you were available. You'd received all the reconciliation, you'd received the wonder of the indwelling Christ, the fullness of salvation, and you were available. You were available. And uh, I like the way they did it. There were many, many youth groups there, and each group had their own youth pastor. And when the invitation was given, the youth pastors all lined up in front, oh, about 20 of them, and, or more maybe. And as the young people responded, they came to their own youth pastor and had a word of prayer with him and then returned to their seat. It took a long time, I remember. It was a very moving sight to see some girls walking to the front, their faces absolutely lit up with love and joy. And young men, young teenagers walking dramatically to the front, absolutely sincere, tremendously sincere. Now, in Bible language, that's called making a vow. Making a vow. Now, the great thing about making a vow is this. It costs you nothing. You just come to the front. In fact, you may gain from it. I've been to meetings where young people have stood up for committal to Christ and older people have come and praised them and said, young fellow, that's great, God bless you, young lady. And the little tails have wagged furiously and they've been delighted. And they got a kudos out of it. And it costs them nothing. And there comes a time when maybe having experienced the, the thrill of committal, you do it again. And maybe I'm speaking to somebody here, and on more than one occasion, in quiet prayer or in open demonstration, you have uh, made a vow. Thank God if you did. But you see, the way you show your gratitude to God is not by making the vow, it's by paying the vow. And you'll notice that comes twice. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now. 
And each one of us here needs to look into our own hearts and uh, just double check. Have we been emotionally motivated at times? For example, a young lady came to me some time ago. She was married with a little family. And she said, John, when I was a teenager, young t- in my late teens, in my early 20s almost, I yielded to the Lord for the mission field. And I, I really wanted to, and I, I was sincere. Then I met my husband, and we fell in love, and we married and got a family. And He isn't interested in missions, and so I'll never go. And I made a vow to go to the missions. I can never pay that vow. What do I do? I said, well, first of all, I would suggest you make use of 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 if we confess our sins and find forgiveness and cleansing. And then you could tell the Lord you're still available. You have your own mission field here, two of them, two savages, and uh, they need uh, dealing with. And also, don't let the devil jump in and jump on you and beat you down. The devil has all the dirty tricks. He can convict you and make you feel guilty and miserable. Don't let him do that. Just commit the thing, confess it and commit it and leave it. And if the devil comes back at you again, just say, Lord Jesus, I have already committed this to you and Lord, it's dealt with. We need to do that. And look with me, please, in Psalm 66. I find this is... Very important in many people's lives. Psalm 66 and verse 13. I will go into thy house with burnt offerings. I will pay thee my vows. Notice, pay my vows. And notice verse 14. Which my lips have uttered and my mouth hath spoken when I was in trouble. Now, we as human beings are often guilty of that. We have no need to barter with God. But very often we do. And you may have done this. Oh, God, if you only get me out of this, I'll... God, if you save my little baby. Oh, God, if you... If you I'll do this. And you are making vows. I remember some years ago now, but it always sticks in my mind... When I was still teaching school, I used to spend uh, many weeks in the summer as an evangelist taking tent campaigns in England in little country villages. And we were in a place called Froome, and we had a tent in a farmer's field, and you'd go around and knock on doors and get about half a dozen people and shout hallelujah and do all the rest of it and try to get people saved. And uh, one night, uh, I noticed a stranger in the tent. And afterwards, he came to me and he said, you never believe this. He said, I was walking past here tonight and uh, something directed me within. And he said, you know, in World War II, I was in the British forces and I was on the beaches at Salerno. Now, some of you will remember Salerno, some of you don't. But Salerno was a beachhead in Italy and many Americans, many British troops died there. I was trapped in a foxhole, in a hole. And I said, oh God, if you save my life, I'll do anything for you. I'll give you my life. And uh, he said, obviously he saved me or I wouldn't be here. 
And he said, you know, I've never been to church since. I've done nothing about it. And uh, I was walking past the tent tonight and I felt I should come in. And I had a chance to go on speaking with him and lead him to the Lord. That's the kind of thing. I will pay my vows which I have uttered when I was in trouble. Something else about paying vows. Look in uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. We very rarely use this book. Keep on going beyond Psalms and Proverbs. If you come to the Song of Solomon, come back a bit. You've gone too far. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We used uh, Lamentations this morning. We don't often use that. Now here's another stranger. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. This is a, a rather a savage chapter, this one. God does open-heart surgery without anesthetic. He's talking about fools. Uh, when you read the word fools in the Bible, it's rather a comment on human nature. There are more than 15 words in the Bible, all translated by the one word fool. There's more than 15 ways of being a fool. And most of us have done a whole bunch of them. Well, the fool mentioned here is the person who speaks first and thinks afterwards. And many of us are guilty of that. You speak first and you think afterwards. Chapter 5. Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God. Be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of a fool. Now that's paying a vow. T talking about, as you'll see, about making vows. Making vows. The sacrifice of a fool. Somebody who just opens their mouth and blurts out some words and doesn't know what they're thinking about. For they consider not that they do evil. Be not rash with thy mouth. Let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven and now upon earth. Therefore let thy words be few. For a dream cometh through the multitude of business. And a fool's voice is known by a multitude of words. When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than thou shouldest vow and not pay. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. Neither say thou before the angel that, you know, I didn't really mean that. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the works of thy hands? That's tough teaching, tough preaching. But we become so easy in what we say. We, words come out of our lips before we have time to think about it. I, well, I'm guilty. You are all guilty. You, we say, I'll pray for you. And you go and forget all about them. We say words in sincerity and we, uh, we know we'll never carry them out. Well, that's all right, says it, we're speaking to, uh, even bad enough speaking to ourselves. But when we make vows to God, because it makes us feel good. And you see, when you make a vow, it costs you nothing. I was looking before I came over about some words of David. You needn't look there. If you want the reference, it's 2 Samuel 24, 24. 
David said, Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. I'm not going to sacrifice to God if it costs me nothing. I repeat, if your faith costs you nothing, it's worth nothing. It's a real challenge that, isn't it? I will pay my vows unto the Lord. And secondly, I will pay my vows. Now, verse 15 tells you how you can pay your vows if you're interested. Verse 15 goes on, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Now, you will obviously remember that this is a very famous funeral verse. It's used again and again in a Christian funeral. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Did you ever wonder how a funeral verse found itself in Psalm 116? Well, it isn't really a funeral verse, although I know we'll go on using it. But a better word for precious is valuable. Valuable in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And in the Christian context, I repeat, in the Christian context, this isn't talking about caskets and burials and funerals. It's talking about the death of the big eye. The big eye in me that wants to go its own way. We all suffer from eye trouble. The big eye in me. And paying your vows is dealing with the big eye. The best example you have of dealing with the big eye is Galatians 2.20, which, of course, you all know off by heart. Paul saying, I, the big I, 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 or I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I'm alive, yet not the big I, but Christ, he's living in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me, gave himself for me. The secret of a changed life is an exchange life. He gave himself for me on the cross, for me in the crisis. That's the valuable is the death of the saints. That's how you pay your vows. It's simply get out of God's way. Let the Lord move in and handle the situation. Now we're all eager to let the Lord die for us at the cross. And handle the whole question of sin. You see he died on the cross to reconcile me from my sins. But he lives in the crisis to save me from myself. You are your own biggest enemy. And the question of sin has been dealt with once and for all. One sacrifice for sins forever. But the question of self is always being dealt with. It's always there. And the only way you can ever pay your vows is to get out of God's way. And get you where you belong on the cross and let Christ take over. Now every believer knows Psalm uh, Galatians 2.20 do you know Galatians 2.21? And all the eyes go down to see what it is. Well, the Amplified has a glorious translation. Still talking about the indwelling Christ. It says, I do not, in the, in the King James it says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. 
Very simple, very short, just to the point. But the Amplified digs in and tells you what it means. I do not treat God's gracious gift, that's the indwelling Christ, as something of minor importance. And so defeat the whole purpose. I do not treat God's gracious gift, that's the indwelling Christ, as something of minor importance. And so I defeat the whole purpose of God's salvation. God's salvation wasn't just to get me out of hell and into heaven. God's salvation was that I might be conformed to the image of His Son. That as Paul says, the life of Christ might be made manifest through my mortal flesh. That's paying your vows. Every vow you've ever made will be paid immediately at all costs when you allow the indwelling Christ to take over in your life. I do not treat God's gracious gift as something of minor importance. See, God's salvation is like a coin, the coin of salvation. And every coin has two sides. Without two sides, it wouldn't be legal tender. And the coin of salvation has two sides. One is the reconciling death of Christ. The other is the saving life of Christ. And which side of a coin is the most important? They're both the same. Without the two sides, it isn't legal tender. And it's just the same with God's glorious salvation. There's a reconciling death. That's where you begin. That's the finished work of Christ. But the saving life of Christ. See, he talks about walking in the land of the living. Remember, please, the death of Christ doesn't qualify you to live. The death of Christ qualifies you to die and go to heaven as a forgiven sinner. It's the life of Christ that qualifies you to live. Jesus said, because I live, you shall live also. Because I die, you shall die and go to heaven as a forgiven sinner. Because I live, you shall live also. And many of us don't live. We just exist. We don't walk in the land of the living. We stagger in the land of the dying. And you were saved to walk in the land of the living. And as Major Thomas said last night, that isn't the victorious Christian life. That's just the normal Christian life. I fight the same battle that he was talking about. People will talk about the higher life or the victorious Christian life. There's no such thing. There's only one Christian life. I mentioned this earlier on this week. There's only one Christian life, and that's the life of Christ. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. You can't live the Christian life. You can't be a little Jesus. All you can do is allow Christ to be himself. And as I said the other day, there are, I'm meeting again. It strikes me so much these days. There are so many of God's people have never given the Lord Jesus one chance to be God in their life. Not one chance to be God. He can be God at the cross, but not in the crisis. I play God in the crisis. Well, like the Galatians, we're saved by faith, but we walk by works. And this whole business of paying my vows, that's how you do it. 
valuable in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly I am thy slave. It should be. I'm back in the Psalm. Psalm 116, verse 16. O Lord, truly I am thy slave. I am thy slave. And the son of thine handmaid. Thou hast loosed my bonds. So the first thing I do is take the cup of salvation. And the second thing is I pay my vow. I will offer to thee. The sacrifice of thanksgiving. This is Thanksgiving Day. How does a Christian offer to the Lord the sacrifice of thanksgiving? Well, look with me in uh, Romans, of course, and chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. I beseech you, therefore... Brethren, I beseech you, therefore, please note, wherever you see the word therefore in the Bible, this isn't a joke, it sounds corny, I know, but always ask yourself what it's there for. Because therefore is always pointing back to what was said before. Because of what I have just said, I beseech you, brethren, I beseech you, therefore, and Quite a number of times, you, you begin a chapter with, I beseech you therefore. Look back and see what he's referring to. Look at verse 33 of the chapter 11. This is what he's referring to. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counsellor, or who hath given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him, and through him, and to him are all things, to whom be glory for ever. Amen. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may, be a, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I like underlining words in verses and connecting them. I've underlined the word present in verse 1 and that ye may prove in verse 2. You present that you may prove. So often we want to prove before we present. We want God to give us a menu and we, if we like the menu then we'll present our bodies a living sacrifice. But you take a leap in the dark, it's blind faith, you just present your body a living sacrifice. Notice how you spell the word holy in verse 1. A living sacrifice, holy, acceptable. Not W-H, but H-O-L-Y. We spoke of this with Isaiah this morning. A sacrifice is holy. But I'm dealing with the verse 116 where we had, uh, I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving. 
How do I offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving? And here is the New Testament uh, equivalent. Present your body a living sacrifice. Now, how do you present your body a living sacrifice? In the Old Testament, the sacrifices were presented, and they were presented once, because they died, and that was the end. They presented sacrifices which died. But here, you have to present your body a living sacrifice. And the thought is, keep on presenting your body a living sacrifice. Now, what picture can you have in your mind of presenting your body a living sacrifice? Well, in England, a generation ago, we had a great preacher, Bishop Taylor Smith. He was a bishop of a colonial diocese uh, in the colonies when they had colonies. And he was a tremendous preacher. He was large of heart and large of body and large of everything. A bit like Friar Tuck. He's a great fellow. And he was very successful with university students. And he had a delightful way of pushing home to them this thought, present your body a living sacrifice. Because young people and older people too, it's very comforting to get a thought pattern of involvement with God that is totally impractical because then you're quite safe. See, if you can get a thought pattern of presenting your body as a living sacrifice and you, you like the idea, it sounds good and you're all for it and you haven't a clue what it means, then you're all for it because it doesn't affect your life. And you just enjoy the verse, I'm going to present my body a living sacrifice. Whatever that means, I'm having a clue, but I'm going to present my body a living sacrifice. It doesn't cost you anything. Sounds good, it's like making a vow. And he used to say, how do you present your body a living sacrifice? He'd say, well, uh, to have a sacrifice, you've got to have an altar. Mm -hmm. Well, he said, this is what I do. He said, uh, like you, I go to bed at night. And my bed is the shape of an altar. It's rectangular, the shape of an altar. And when I wake each morning, I am lying on my bed, but I am also lying on my altar. And my body is living, and it's lying on the altar. And I look up, and I say, Dear God, Thank you for the gift of this new day. Thank you for life. Thank you for Jesus living in me. I'm on the altar, Lord. I want to present my body now a living sacrifice. Holy. Acceptable to you. Which is the least I can do. Then he said, I, I wait and I meditate. And my heart goes out in thankful praise and worship and adoration. Then I get off the altar and get cracking and get moving. Present your body a living sacrifice. Then I'm available to God throughout that day. I'm a living body. I'm presented. I'm available to God that day. Then at the end of the day, I come back and I say, Thank you, God, for a wonderful day. And I get on my altar again. 
tuck up the sheets, and I say, thank you, God, for a lovely day, and I go to sleep again on the altar. Next morning, I wake up, thank you, Lord, for the gift of a new day. Lord, thank you for life. Thank you for Jesus. I'm on the altar. Lord, I want to present my living body, a living sacrifice to you for another day. That's a practical thing you can think of. If you just have the catchphrase, present your body a living sacrifice, you haven't a clue what it means. It's so easy to agree with it. Because it costs you nothing. But if it's a blood and guts thing of getting involved, it's going to cost you something, maybe hurt you. Then you'll think twice. And that's why we read in Ecclesiastes about the sacrifice of a fool. Think before you act. And so, as we come to this glorious, wonderful day of thanksgiving, on this day of 1981, and we have where we were before in our son, how can I show my thanks to God? Simple. I will take, I will pay, I will offer. Have you taken the cup of salvation? If you've never yet trusted Christ, that's where you begin. Have you drunk of that cup of salvation? Why don't you? If somebody gave you something and you just took a sip and pushed it to one side, that means you didn't like it. Why don't you show God that you drink it and get involved? And then, of course, you pay your vows. But how do you pay your vows? You know how? Not I, but Christ. And offer the living sacrifice. So, having spoken in general... Let's now bow our heads and close our eyes. And let's make it personal. Here we have Thanksgiving Day. And in a little while we'll have Thanksgiving dinner. Now let's bow our hearts in Thanksgiving. And uh, measure up. What shall I render unto the Lord? For all his benefits towards me. I'll take. I will pay. I will offer. Would you just check down those now and see if there are any unfulfilled in your life? And if you really want to show and demonstrate thanksgiving, apart from singing about it, you could do something about it. And you could begin to do it now. We'll have 60 seconds of wonderful quietness from now. While you deal with the Lord and the Lord deals with you. Sixty seconds from now.
Teach us, good Lord, that thankfulness is not only a matter of the emotions and of the mind, but essentially of the will. When we think lovely thoughts and we get emotionally moved, but more than that, when by an act of will we choose to pay our vows and we choose to offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving and we're like David, we say, God, I'll offer nothing that costs me nothing. And so on this Thanksgiving day, as we rejoice and praise and indulge in all the good things, may there be that deep inward response of our total heart relationship, emotions and mind and will. And may it be so for your glory. And we ask all this for your dear name's sake. Amen.